0: The following contains content that is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. The Devil and Mrs. Tremblay Written by Craig Moody Narrated by Jessica Caruso Five Molly arrived a few days later. She had with her a freshly baked apple pie and her tarot cards. I accepted the pie, but I made it very clear that I didn't want anything to do with the cards. I was still far too haunted by my recent episodes to dare tease my mind with any further uncertainty. "'Hun, I would really feel better if you would just talk to Dr. Johnson. He means well. We all just want to see you feel better. Be yourself again!' I nodded, half listening, but I was mostly studying my friend and neighbor. I had known Molly for nearly fifteen years now. The Jeffersons had moved onto the farm next to ours not long after Edgar had inherited this land from his daddy. It didn't take long for us all to become friends. They, too, never had children. Molly just didn't seem interested. I don't know how Bill felt about the matter, but as a woman slightly older than me, Molly Jefferson's days to conceive were limited, if not gone completely. "'Should we cut into that pie?' Molly asked, breaking the trance of my distraction. I rose and tended to the dessert. I listened to Molly chatter pointlessly as we both nibbled our individual slices. I continued to study her face, searching for signs of her guilt. Was she sleeping with my husband? Could I ever tell?' Would she ever tell me? Could I really trust Molly Jefferson? Are you sure you don't want just a quick run through the cards, darling? It's been a while. I think it'll do you some good to... No, thank you, Molly. I interrupted, placing my hand over hers. I have a lot to tend to around here. I thank you for stopping by and for bringing that delicious pie. I just know Edgar is gonna love it. Oh, I hope so. Molly winked. I didn't return her smile. I simply led her to the screen door and watched as she made her way from the front porch to the dirt road that connected our farms. I returned to the kitchen, dumped the rest of the pie into the trash bin, and started supper. The summer was starting to give way to early autumn. The constant heat had become a bit more forgiven as September rolled into October. For weeks now, my world had been quiet. Things had returned to normal. Aside from a few odd encounters with Edgar where he would angrily revisit my confession of adultery, life went on as it had for years. I avoided Joe completely. I dreaded even seeing him through the farmhouse windows, his back bent, his face gleaming with sweat. Once or twice, usually when I wasn't paying much attention to the wandering of my thoughts, I would envision him naked, remembering the feeling of his pulsating manhood as it pushed deep inside me. Quickly, I would turn my attention elsewhere. I had begun to pray more. I would talk to God all throughout the day. I found this not only would keep my mind from wandering places it shouldn't, but it also would ease the ever present isolation and loneliness of my daily existence. One night, in late October, Joe disappeared again. Edgar was livid. It was nearly time for the harvest. Edgar made several calls and even ventured off the farm to look for him. It was nearly a week before he found him. Edgar screamed and hollered, but the boy would never say where he went or why. He simply listened as Edgar threatened both violence and non-payment for his labor, and then went about his usual routine as if nothing had happened. Edgar mentioned locking the silo door at night, but realized that was a bit extreme. Instead, he had no other choice but to hope and trust that his much-needed farmhand wouldn't run off again. I never returned to the silo during this period. I was too afraid to see the newspapers. I had given up coffee. I had tossed the percolator down the old well that edged our property against the Jeffersons. No one used that well. It had been abandoned for years. So the percolator had crashed and clanked against the hard earth of the well's bottom. There wasn't a drop of water in that old hole. Unfortunately, it was a similar case for our active well, which was far closer to the house. The rain continued to be sparse at best, and the ground had only become drier and more desolate. Edgar and Joe had a heck of a time with the crops that year. I could see the added stress burdening Edgar. It would take him hours to fall asleep at night. I would always do what I could to ease him. I would scratch his back or initiate love making, anything to allow his mind some peace but as the harvest neared, he only seemed to become more lost and buried under the enormity of his worry. I had started to dream about Joe again. As Edgar continued to slip into his silence, I found myself climaxing in my sleep. I hadn't been with Joe in months, and I rarely thought of him, yet the weeks of pent-up frustration only grew in intensity and showed itself in my subconscious. I found myself craving him again. The more Edgar pulled away, the more I wanted Joe. The only way to break my desire was to remind myself of the two odd encounters I had with Joe, where he had warned me of Edgar's supposed affair with Molly Jefferson. Both times his face and demeanor were vastly different from how he was normally or how he had been when I was more interactive with him. It was when Edgar lost his ability to perform as a man should that I found myself creeping through the wet grass of the night toward the silo. I stopped myself three times before making it to the silo door. With my heart pounding in my chest, I struggled for air, found my confidence, and pulled the door open. The moon was bright and full. I could see Joe clearly lit atop his lopsided bed. He was fast asleep, his thin sheet hardly covering his naked body. I took a deep breath and closed the door. No, I couldn't do this again. It was wrong. I didn't want to hurt Edgar. We had come too far. Edgar never said he had forgiven me, but I wasn't going to chance destroying or breaking any new trust he had found in me. Instead, I turned around and headed back to the house. Just as I slowly closed the screen door behind me, careful not to allow its groan and squeal to waken Edgar, I smelled the tobacco. You can be with him, you know. I heard a voice mumble. It took me several breathless seconds to realize it was Edgar, sitting in his rocker, his head turned toward the darkness. I... Uh, I was just... I know what you was doing, Edith. I know you want to be with him. And I know you was with him again since we saw Brother Tom. You ain't got to stop. It's what you want. I stood completely still. My heart pounding wildly. I failed you, Edith. I failed you in more ways than just one. I understand your frustration. I understand why you're unhappy. I give it my blessing. Go be with him. I'll even pay him his wages early so the two of you can start a new life someplace else. Edgar! I scoffed, no, don't. I don't love you no more, Edith. Edgar's words coiled around my ears and gripped tightly. It felt as though my heart had stopped beating altogether. Finally, I forced myself to speak. Edgar, no. You're mistaken. I wasn't with him. I don't want to be with him. I just... I... I was caught in my own lies. The lies I told myself and the lies I was speaking out loud. Edgar didn't say another word. In the blue light from the full moon, I could just see the right side of his face. Twinkling like a diamond, a single tear rolled down his cheek. Edgar... I whispered my own tears, Foreman. I'm sorry. I want you gone, Edith. Edgar replied, never turning his head in my direction. I've already called your mama. She's wiring money for your train ticket. You can go be with her and your sister out in California. <laughs> Edgar, please. Fuck you, Edith. He concluded, standing from his rocking chair and turning to face me. In the moonlight, his face was soaked with water. It was clear he had been crying long before I found him sitting alone in the dark. I could only watch as the only man I ever trusted slowly worked his way to the second floor and closed the door of our shared bedroom behind him. In the distance, I could hear him click the lock on the knob. For the first time in my entire life, I felt the very core of my soul break open and weep. I waited a full 24 hours before attempting to speak to Edgar. Late in the night, the bedroom again locked. I pressed myself against the door and sobbed. Please, Edgar. I cried. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Edgar never spoke a word. Instead, I spent the entire night leaned against the bedroom door, my tears and snot dripping into giant pools on the floor beneath my feet. I didn't care. I was broken, wounded, desperate. Just before dawn, Edgar opened the door and shoved past me. He went down the stairs, out the front screen door, and into the fields for the rest of the day. I never moved. I was still waiting for him. The fluid puddles now dry, my tear ducts nothing but hollow caverns. When Edgar finally appeared at the top of the stairs some 16 hours or so later, he was dirt covered and filthy. I could smell him when he walked into the house. I ain't changing my mind, Edith. He stated, no emotion whatsoever. I've thought long and hard about this. This is just the way it has to be. I assumed I would burst into tears again, but instead, I stood up and nodded. Fine, I whispered. I understand. I could tell Edgar was surprised by my agreement, but he didn't try to stop me as I moved past him, down the stairs and out into the night. I didn't stop walking until I was knocking on the front door of Bill and Molly Jefferson's farmhouse. My word, Edith, Molly exclaimed when she finally opened the door. What are you doing here? Molly was in her nightgown, its embroidered lace covering her bosom. It looked expensive, perhaps something Bill had given to her as a gift. Immediately, I wondered if Edgar had ever seen her in it or out of it. Bill came downstairs and the two neighbors led me to their kitchen. Molly started some coffee while Bill pressed me for answers. What's the matter, Edith? Is Edgar okay? Are you hurt? Is he hurt? I knew I looked like hell. I hadn't slept and had done nothing but cry for the past 24 hours. Edgar is fine. I started preparing myself to reveal everything. Bill offered to excuse himself when I started detailing the intricate details of my infidelity and betrayal. I could tell it embarrassed him to hear me speak so openly and frankly. I held nothing back. I offered every thought my brain had to expel. I could see both Bill and Molly flush when I made it to the part about Joe accusing Edgar of an affair with Molly. I was certain to make it known that I wasn't completely sure Joe had actually said these things to me. I was explicit about my fear of insanity. I didn't want either Bill or Molly to fly into a rage and react to what I was saying. I was extremely careful to describe my truth with mindful diligence, despite the foggy sensation of my brain. When I was through, my conclusion coming in in the form of Edgar's final words to me— Molly led me to a spare bedroom and situated me beneath the quilts of a small bed. I don't recall the words either of them said to me after I had finished assaulting their ears and minds with my troubles. I could only recall their faces, both twisted, in shock and confusion. I was too exhausted to sleep peacefully, so my body settled for a fitful tossing and turning. I waited until I was sure Bill had gone into the fields to work before exiting the bedroom. Sit down, darling, Molly instructed the moment she saw me. My nightgown smelled of body odor and sweat, and my hair and face were tear-stained and disheveled. We need to talk about this, she continued. I saw it all in the cards. I saw it long ago. I know this whole thing with that boy has been going on for quite some time, As I told you before, I saw it in the cards long before you ever admitted it to Edgar, long before the whole county got wind of it. I just stared at Molly. Her need to always remind me of her ability to see my future, both in general and specific to the mistakes I made, was both annoying and exhausting. I was grateful she was allowing me to stay in her home, so I obliged her with my silence. I will say I didn't see this coming. I never saw Edgar throwing you out this way. I just watched her as she spoke. But that storm, she continued locking her eyes with mine. I still see it, dark, dry, and enormous. It's still coming. It's still enough. I heard myself scream. Before I could stop myself, I had stood to my feet and was moving toward Molly. I don't want to hear another damn word about your cards, some storm, or how you knew I was cheating on my husband. I just don't, Molly. It's enough. Play your games with someone else. Because I just ain't the one. I didn't allow her to reply. I turned back toward the bedroom I'd slept in and darted inside, slamming the door shut behind me. There I stayed until the sun went down. After several days had passed, I started to regret everything. I regretted all I had done and said. I felt defeated and ashamed. I blamed myself for everything. I was truly at fault. Molly assisted Bill in the fields. I took the opportunity to cook and clean their house. Molly was appreciative, but our interactions were awkward at best and completely hostile at worst. I awoke one morning with her devil tarot card slid under the door of the bedroom I was staying in. The sight of that card threw me into a completely uncontrollable rage, I tore the card in front of Molly, spitting out every insult and curse word I could think of. Molly stood up to me, pushing her hide at me like a cobra spreading its hood. Afraid, I backed off, but I think she understood she had crossed the line and allowed me to finish my piece. We didn't talk all that much after that, although she would offer small compliments about the cleanliness of the house or the taste of the meal I had conjured in their kitchen. Molly was hesitant when I asked her to deliver a letter to Edgar. I could tell she just didn't want to get involved, but she relented, took the handwritten note, and exited the house. It was simply folded. I didn't have an envelope to put it in, nor did I bother asking for one. I knew Molly would read it regardless. As much as she didn't want to be an active participant in the sudden disarray of my marriage— she was most certainly the unfolding drama's most devout witness. I sent one letter per day. Edgar never replied. I would venture out through the Jefferson's backfields just before sundown to catch a glimpse of my husband. He never saw me, nor did Joe, who worked faithfully by Edgar's side. After seven letters and zero responses, I felt myself growing impatient even angry. After nine days of total silence, my anger turned to action. I wrote Joe a letter. I asked him to meet me in the Jefferson's barn after dark. I waited until I knew both men would be deep in the crops before sneaking off the Jefferson's property, over the barbed wire fence that separated their lot from ours and around the back side of the silo. I placed the note on Joe's makeshift bed. I paused for a long while, allowing my nose to smell the sheets. I could smell his skin, his sweat. It turned me on immediately. In my anger for Edgar, I wanted nothing more than to make love to Joe. My heart raced as I crept through the shadows toward the Jefferson's old barn. The livestock were then bayed and mooed as I tiptoed through the main walkway of the vast wooden structure. I climbed the small ladder to the second-floor loft, tucking behind a large bale of hay, the instructed meeting place given to Joe in my hastily written letter. I waited in the darkness, hoping he would appear, My anger fueled my impulsiveness, but my love, fear, and regret always beckoned from the corners of my mind. A part of me suddenly wished that Joe wouldn't show. Just as I had given up on him arriving, I heard the barn's massive heavy door creak open and close. I had already moved to the ladder with the intent to descend back to the first floor and exit out the door. I stood still. Too afraid to breathe, much less move. Mrs. Trembly, I heard Joe whisper. Up here, I whispered in return, the pounding of my heart causing my brain to spin and fizzle. Following the sound of my voice, Joe climbed the ladder and stood in the darkness before me. I could smell his sweat, the day's autumn sunshine breathing from his pores. You wanted to see me, he asked, his voice lifting from a whisper to a cool, calm tone. Yes, I stuttered. I wanted to, I wanted, I I needed. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what to say. I knew I was behaving out of fear and rage. I was mad at Edgar for discarding me and cutting me off. Had he just answered one of my letters, I knew I wouldn't be standing here now, intent on silently hurting him. I shouldn't be here, Joe answered, his breath reeking of tobacco. This ain't right. None of this. I shouldn't get between you and Mr. Trumbly. I was tempted to ask him about the two strange encounters we had. I was still uncertain about them. I still feared I had dreamed both lucid experiences that plagued my memory, yet held no evidence of their reality. I decided it was best to simply end this regretful secret meeting. I'm sorry, Joe, I whispered, stepping closer to him. You're right. I shouldn't have asked you here. I wanted to turn away. I wanted to shove past him down the ladder and back to the yard and into the Jefferson's house. Instead, I felt my hand lift and grip Joe's groin. I felt his member jolt and lurch in response. Mrs. Tremblay, he whispered, his voice now lacking its previous confidence. Don't. I pulled him by his crotch until we fell onto the nearest hay bale. Joe stopped resisting. He allowed me to unfasten his pants and remove his shirt. In the complete blackness, I located him and sat myself over his pelvis. I thought of Edgar as I thrust my body over Joe's. I thought of how Edgar had asked me to leave. I thought of how he had refused to answer my letters. As I climaxed, I thought of Edgar's face when I told him of my affair with Joe. I didn't notice if Joe climaxed. I lowered my skirt and shuffled toward the ladder. "Why are you doing this?" Joe asked from behind me. "What is it that you want?" I was thrown by his forwardness and blunt honesty. What did I want? Was it Joe? Was it Edgar? I didn't know. I had no idea. I had become so reactive and nonsensical about everything I did. I felt as though I were losing all control of my motives and actions. I felt like a scoffing bystander inside the mind of a slowly unraveling woman. Just shut up, Joseph. I snapped before placing my body over the ladder and lowering myself to the ground. That was the last time I saw Joe. The following day, He disappeared for good. Hi, I'm Craig Moody, and I want to thank you for listening to Craig Moody's Novel Bites. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast to be notified when the latest episodes are released. Print and digital editions of my previous titles are available through all major retailers. For more information or for links to my social media, please visit craig-moody.com. Until next time.